Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 89.7 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. It is a cliché to say lost causes are the only ones worth fighting for. Yet for Tony Jenkins, it could be his motto. Jenkins is hoping to convince the Ontario Land Tribunal, and anyone else, not to grant a demolition permit to Southbridge. That is the developer who wants to remove several heritage buildings from its Ward Street property. It has received a Minister's Zoning Order, or an MZO, in June, allowing it to build a seven-story, 192-bed long-term care home on the site. Port Hope Council denied a demolition application at the end of June. Since then, Southbridge has filed with the Ontario Land Tribunal, asking for a hearing. Jenkins hopes to preserve the old Port Hope Hospital, which is one of several old buildings on the property. On today's show, you will hear from Jenkins. He acknowledges it is a David and Goliath battle. He will be joined by Dan Schneider, an expert on cultural heritage policy. In 2022, the Ontario Land Tribunal has sided with developers 97% of the time. I'm so pleased to have with me today Tony Jenkins, Port Hope citizen and active participant in the debate over the long-term care proposal, and Dan Schneider, a provincial expert on cultural heritage policy and legislation and an active member of the Provincial Architectural Conservancy of Ontario. Gentlemen, welcome to Consider This Northumberland. Thank you. Thanks. When people think about the proposal to build a long-term care facility on Ward Street in Port Hope, I wonder how many think there is a possibility that things can be overturned as it has a ministerial zoning order or an MZO and it is going before the Ontario Land Tribunal. Tony. Is it possible to stop the proposal for the moment? Can you just answer us for now? Yes or no? Is it possible? Yes or no? Most definitely, yes. And then from your perspective, are there options available that can still change the course of this? Yes or no? Well, I I would, would agree with Tony and his answer, but... It depends, I think, exactly on how this will play out. Tony, let's start with you then. Let's elaborate upon this. Now, in 2022, the Ontario Land Tribunal decisions favored developers in 97% of the time. What makes you think there is a legal argument that is available that could stop this proposal? The uh, the 97% figure is what I call a summary statistic. It doesn't let you see behind the curtain and why it went that way. 
And 2022 was an interesting time because there were a lot of uh, um, OLT hearings in the pipeline that had, were later affected or before they were heard were affected by changes in legislation. Now, in addition to that, uh, the article by the gentleman for the reporter from the Hamilton Spectator in which this information was put forward, uh, that article didn't define uh, what roles the developers were playing. That is, whether they were the appellants or whether they were the subject of the appeal. And it didn't uh, specify uh, on what grounds things were rejected or accepted. So what we have to do is go forward with our own best arguments, with a good knowledge of the law as it applies, and at the same time, do our best to educate not just our citizens, but also our local uh, provincial politician and politicians, and in, indeed the uh, provincial government as well. So, Tony, if you were to make an argument before the tribunal, what is it that you would say that you think would be effective in stopping them from siding with the uh, developer? Well, I would begin by assuming that they weren't necessarily going to try and uh, facilitate or stop the developer, that they were there to listen and learn. And if it was my position to shape the argument, it would be to uh, outline to the Ontario Land Tribunal that everything that the Port Hope Council has done thus far has been consistent with the law, the Ontario Heritage Act, that was in place at the time and is still in place now. And I would also do my best to illustrate to the Ontario Land Tribunal that the proposal from Southbridge was an example of very bad planning. That it was a proposal that because it was wrapped in the issue of long-term care is even being considered uh, any other way, it would never be considered uh, and certainly wouldn't be not likely to be accepted by the Ontario Land Tribunal. Now, the appeal is going forward based on a request to, for demolishing a, a heritage site. And so how is it that you can bring in matters of planning when a ministerial zoning order has been issued to say that this has been cleared in terms of planning, that it's only to in regards to uh, the heritage aspect of the buildings. How how does your argument fit into that? The minister's zoning order, and Dan can correct me on this, I'm on thin ice, uh, doesn't deem the proposal to be good planning. It simply overrides the municipal decision to reject it on planning basis, but they make no judgment on the merits of the project. If you read the minister's zoning order, it's very brief, and it just says, we hereby make these changes and what have. So that's the first point. And the second point is that this proposal is not being resisted solely on the basis of the presence of the heritage buildings. There's a number of uh, different uh, points of view on the development uh, that is that are against the development for many different reasons. But to focus on the heritage aspect of it, 
right now, the existence of those buildings, the space they're taking up on that lot is what is preventing the uh, developer from continuing or initiating and, and completing that project. So that's why it's necessary to have them taken out of the way. And the Ontario Heritage Act uh, so far has given the authority to the municipalities to make that decision whether or not uh, they should be allowed to stay. And also it's been the provincial government through the uh, Conservation Review Board that has confirmed their status and importance to the community. So, the, so that was a provincial board as well as a municipal decision. Yeah, and can you help illuminate this a bit as well? Is it the MZO? Is it far-reaching enough that it covers heritage aspects, or is it only for dealing with the the, the planning and the, the approvals process? Can you maybe shed some light on that? Sure. The basic uh, distinction between planning policy, planning legislation, and her heritage legislation is that um, planning, specifically zoning, is about use. It's about use. Whereas when you think about a heritage building and why you would conserve and protect that building, it's not, not really about the use of the structure. It's about its, its appearance. It's about its visibility. It's about like the fabric of the structure itself. And that's why uh, in heritage uh, circles, we talk so much about adaptive reuse. In other words, you have a house, you sell it to me, and I turn it into a shop. I turn it into a restaurant. I can do that because it's not affecting the heritage attributes the heritage qualities of the structure. But to do that, to make that change from a house to some commercial use, that's where the zoning comes in. That's where the, the planning act comes in, in terms of like what uses are permitted and what uses aren't permitted. So technically, like a zoning uh, order, whether it's a municipal zoning order, or in this case, uh, a minister's zoning order coming from the province itself, that doesn't um, contradict or necessarily interfere with the protection of heritage uh, structures. In this case, though, in the Porto case, um, as Tony outlined, you very clearly have a zoning order 
that wants, or I shouldn't say wants, that supports, that supports a use of the property, which when you look closely at it, is practically speaking inconsistent with the current heritage structures on the property. It's not, um, it's not completely inconsistent. There's still an argument that could be made. Uh, interestingly, I don't think anybody is really making this argument, or at least uh, I haven't heard it discussed seriously, that these buildings could be retained and basically redeveloped. The buildings themselves could be retained and redeveloped as part of this much bigger facility that the current owner uh, would like to build. If I can add to what Dan said there and tie it into the question you asked me, Rob. Uh, yes, uh, the adaptive reuse for either long-term care or ancillary uses related to long-term care was an initial thrust of uh, the municipality and the citizens' work with the developer. The developer showed absolutely no interest in pursuing anything along that line. Uh, these people are property developers first and foremost, and they have a, a set piece that they like to use. Now, they've changed that up over the years, but uh, it's not within their scope of experience or comfort to do this, uh, this kind of work. Although it would be an ideal, uh, I think, uh, end result if that uh, property at 65 Ward Street could retain and reuse, uh, if not all, but at least the most significant of the historical structures that are there and provide a... Uh, first-class, excellent, long-term facility of the type they wish to build. If I can, then, if I if I may, Tony, um, uh, it's I want to be clear then about the goal. So, as this goes forward to the Ontario Land Tribunal, have you asked for status at the tribunal to make a case? Uh, that's an interesting question. I well, no, the the question uh, leads to an interesting issue. Uh, no, I haven't asked for status, but I do intend to do that as others do, but as uh, a participant rather than as a party. Now, as of yet, Southbridge's uh, request for, uh, for, for an appeal hearing has not been published either by the municipality or by the province, so we don't even know to what we would speak yet. But if we were to speak, uh, it would be that uh, these particular buildings are significant beyond their structure, their appearance and their fabric. They're ex uh, significant historically. And as the Ontario Land Tribunal, pardon me, the, its predecessor, the uh, Conservation Review Board, uh, deemed them to be, or the one particular building leads to be of landmark status in the community. So we would be, at least I would be, promoting the notion of adaptive reuse combined with a new build, because if you look carefully at 
the plans of the developer, the developer is essentially swapping out the historical buildings for a parking lot. If parking was accommodated through underground or in terraced locations uh, or by terracing uh, beyond the footprint of the new building, those existing historical buildings, or at least the most significant of them, could remain. There is space on the lot for that. What is it that people can do that's going to be effective that is going to achieve the, the ultimate goal that you're trying to reach of, of integrating this building? I would say that uh, the best thing we could do is to do our best. That is to resist, not to roll over and accept the outcome as inevitable, but rather to put forward good, coherent arguments based in law, precedent, and the work of the council and other uh, citizen groups such as the ACO and the Heritage Port Hope. Well, the Heritage Port Hope is actually a committee of council. Uh, but all of this good work that has been done on this issue over the past six years, to frame that as positively as possible, put it forward, and to be firm in our resistance to the appeal. One critique of the process, Tony, is the ability of the province and the minister in particular to override local citizens in the municipality. Tony, what are the, your thoughts on the impact of the MZO on local democracy? Well, in a word, profound. Uh, what uh, we are seeing happen is that the it appears as if the uh, aspirations of the development community trump those of the local community. So an outside developer, when I say outside from beyond our political boundaries or even our end of the province, uh, can uh, essentially thwart the will of the people as it's been expressed through votes of council and public demonstrations and of support uh, for the uh, preservation of the, the site. Uh, when a developer can do those things with essential um, carte blanche, but, but that's is it, a very is, bad is situation. Is it really the developer, though, or is it the, is it the minister? The developer is only acting in self-interest, which is its, its business goal. Is it really fair to place it in front of them as compared to the provincial government and the minister? This is where you may need to use your editing skills because I'm going to have to tell you as it is in that uh, you've got a tail and a dog problem here. And it, if you want to call the develop the long-term care development industry, and that's how they call themselves, industry, if you want to call them the tail, they're definitely wagging the dog. And it's a puzzle. It, it's really puzzling why the provincial government is so responsive to the needs of the uh, long-term private long-term development industry. Let, let's let's develop that idea, those ideas a little further, though, because how is it not breaking through the nimbyism of the past to get a particular set of policy goals done? It, the, the provincial government, in two elections, has made it clear that a priority is to get long-term care beds for people, and there is a huge need for that, and so. They justify their policies by saying that they've got to get this job done. And, you know, developers get stuck for years at a huge cost. So how do you balance what you're arguing in this moment 
with uh, the needs of seniors and the elderly and the families and the desire of a government to lead towards solving a problem. You've actually asked me about four different questions there. I'll do my best to follow them. I'll start with the most important one. There's a great confusion surrounding the notion that long-term care facilities are needed, needed now, and should trump all other considerations. There, if we acknowledge the need, we, that does not mean then we should also acknowledge that nothing else should be considered. And what we are saying is not this development in this location. You want to, you want to change the development so it better suits and preserves our heritage and our neighborhoods. That would be the best outcome. Um, I live directly across the road from 65 Ward Street on Princess Street and have enjoyed having the long-term care facility there as a neighbor and frankly have difficulty seeing that property developed any other way. But not the development, the seven-story, 192-bed hospital, not pardon me, long-term care facility. That is driven not by the needs of the community, but rather the needs of the developer. Going back as far as April the 2nd, 2017, when Keith McIntosh, then CEO of Southbridge, spoke to council, he was very proud of what he called their growth strategy, a business model, if you like. And the core of that growth strategy was to buy at the right price obsolete long-term care facilities in smaller urban centers. And then to redevelop those properties with public money when it became available. But in the meantime, to introduce what they called operating efficiencies. So until the time was right to do the redevelopment. And the redevelopment should also include the amalgamation of their other facilities. And these notions of amalgamation, reducing overhead, all geared towards maximizing profit. Now, when we see the logical extension of this growth philosophy or, or uh, business model, if you want to call it that, it uh, doesn't take into account needs of the town or the community in which they're located. And it uh, doesn't prioritize even the needs of its residents. So this is the issue we're talking about. We can do a better job on a better site of providing long-term care, or we can do a really good job on that site if we didn't need to build a, such a large one, which once again is only intended or only inspired by the need for the developer to maximize his return. But I, I don't want to get into a, a debate over the goals of a business because the, their goal is their goal. They want to maximize profits. That's that's what business businesses do. What I was asking about, and I'll, I'll go back over it again, is how is it not the, the policies of the government and the use of the MZO is not is this not a breaking through the nimbyism 
of the past to get a particular policy goal reached. Now, I'm glad you mentioned that a second time. You used the term nimbyism, and that's an outdated pejorative that is not applicable to most situations to which it is applied. Uh, there's a very interesting philosopher uh, who has spoken and written on this very concept of nimbyism, and her thesis is that those of us who are most intimately associated geographically with a particular project and thus are concerned and thus are prompted to educate ourselves and to learn about both the laws and the practices are in the best place to represent the common values of the community. And in fact, not just in the best place to do it, but have a responsibility to do it. So now the term NIMBY, not in my backyard, is most interesting in this case, because you're right now talking to someone from St. Mary's near Stratford and somebody else who spends half his time in Kingston and getting a little closer to home when we had a rally in support of council to do the right thing and uh, deny the heritage demolition permit to the developer, we had about 120 participants, counting myself. There were only two others from the immediate neighborhood. The rest were from diverse neighborhoods around Port Hope. So it's not a case of local citizens trying to protect their interests, but rather we're aware, we're educated, and we're trying to protect the interests of the not just the community, the whole town, and indeed, in this case, the province. How do you balance your position with the need of seniors, and the elderly, and their families? Very easily. Uh, Greg Burns, former deputy mayor, when he was leaving office, and this was a real hot issue, when I spoke to about him in a long email, he replied with a very short one, saying, this should be a non-issue. Southbridge has other options, period. And that's really what it comes down to. Now, when I, and there are a few specifics here. There's one piece of property that's only a half a kilometer from where the present location is. It's on the river. It's the former MTO property uh, just off Hope Street four acres in size. It was deemed surplus by the provincial government and it was offered to the uh, First Nations in Alderville. It was offered to the municipality of Port Hope and it might even have been offered to the uh, county. And how, that how do you know that? How do you know all this? I, I know all this from talking to the politicians who were intimately involved at the time and continue to be involved and indeed uh, with uh, uh, our provincial MPP. And uh, I can forward you email correspondence. In fact, I already have. The municipality needs provincial money to undertake major infrastructure projects like fixing roads or sewers. And these are massively expensive. Plus, there are endless grants for a grocery list of items that the town applies for each year. To push back against the provincial government can have a fiscal impact that hits residents in the pocketbook. I mean, that's real politique. 
Is this not something that should be considered when pushing back? No, because that's given into the bully. And you do it once, it will be expected you'll do it from thence on. Now, the other thing to keep in mind is we don't get direct. The municipality does not get grants directly from the province. The province grants to the next tier of government, the county, and the county then grants to the uh, town. Now, the provincial government's doing their dis best to dismantle these intermediate levels of government, you know, such as in Peel and Niagara and other places, so that they will have that, if you like, uh, persuasive authority over municipalities. But at this time, that doesn't exist. Okay, I, I'm not quite sure. I know that the county does on certain aspects, uh, uh, but I also know that the municipalities do apply directly for infrastructure monies, which they can get both from the provincial and federal governments for certain programs. Tony, how do you see this going forward? Well, that's an interesting question because um, there's not a lot of dialogue on this issue and there hasn't been with this council, only as required and only in, in short order. The, um, as you know, this proposal has a six year history. And over that six years, there's only been, well, initially, two proposals from Southbridge, and each of those went through the process in the, taking the maximum of 90 days, more or less, that was required. Uh, the rest of the time was, you know, at the developer's uh, discretion. But uh, the third proposal, that is the application for the um, most recent heritage demolition permit, which is the center of this appeal process, that got hustled through in 14 days, giving very limited uh, opportunities for input. But the input was still made. And uh, we were very grateful for the councillors who saw the wisdom in declining the uh, application for the permit. And indeed, if one was to listen to their, uh, I would, don't like to characterize them as speeches because they were much more than that, their well-considered statements before they cast their votes, that would sum up all the arguments of why that particular proposal should not be built at that location. Needs of the long-term care, I'm gonna call it communities to include everyone who's involved. Those needs notwithstanding because there are other better ways to meet those needs. I, I appreciate your answer, but I, I'm not clear as how does this go, how, what's going to happen going forward? What's next? Well, I, I, and I appreciate my answer didn't answer your question. <laughs> so let me try again. <laughs> Give me a breather here and restate your question for me, please. All right. I just, I want to know what's next in, in your mind going forward. Oh, yes. And I was trying to tell you that uh, because of the way the information is or is not available, we don't really know what we can do next. I know that what I would like to do is prepare the best argument I can to uh, support council's decision to have not granted the hemorrhage demolition permit. Now, what I would do with that, I don't know. 
because the OLT uh, can accept citizen participation, but only in written form and only at their discretion. In fact, the OLT even has the discretion to make a decision without holding a hearing. So really, we just don't know what's coming ahead for us. But the other thing we could do, and this is really important, is make sure that we support our counselors who wish to enthusiastically defend council's position with at the OLT. And because there are senior members of council and other members of council that don't wish to do that, that wish just to, if you like, uh, allow the OLT to proceed without input from the municipality. So those are the two things that I can see that I can do and anybody else in my position can do right now, uh, to learn, to share, and to encourage. How effective do you think that's going to be as one individual with a, going against the sort of a David and Goliath situation? Well, I just was reading a few emails before we got into this program. And uh, there was a couple of fellows that are, belong to this quasi group, if you like, and they're both called Davids. And they take great resentment to being to the term David and Goliath. In fact, one of them wrote to me and said, this Goliath turned out to be a certified pipsqueak. <laughs> so with that kind of an attitude, that yes, we have something on our side that they don't. We have a good, reasonable, rational argument. We have precedent. We have six years of council's experience at refusing such requests by the developer. And I really would not like to say that, or I would not like to even consider not resisting. Uh, look at history. The British were counted out in 1940. More recent history, the Ukrainians were counted out in 1920 or 2022. Resistance makes a difference. Resistance can be what makes the difference. Dan, Please. I would just like your critique of Tony's last answer about one person or a small group taking on the Ontario Land Tribunal. Well, uh, the the person or small group, uh, and it remains to be seen how like small that group is, basically would be weighing weighing into like the process on the same side as the town. Like the town has made a decision. The town's decision is being appealed. One would expect that the town will defend its decision. Now, how vigorously that, that remains to be seen. After all, it was a very close vote at council, but um, the decision was not to grant that permit. That decision is being appealed the town will be in the position of trying to 
turn back that appeal. So they will make the arguments. They will make the arguments. And if Tony is there, if the local ACO branch is there, if other folks are there um, as participants, basically supporting the town's position, the tribunal can't help but take notice of that. And remember, even if this particular tribunal has a certain um, reputation or a certain track record, like nothing is for sure. Once, once you embark on a court process or a tribunal process, like you cannot guarantee what the result will be. So it may be that the developer, like who's appealing this, this decision at a certain point, and of course this can happen at any point, like right from now, right from this moment, right up until uh, the tribunal comes out with its decision, they could approach the town and say, okay, um, it's in your interest, it's in our interest, it's in the community's interest to try to resolve this. Because if we wait for the decision, um, like it's, it's, it's usually a winner take all, winner take all situation. So let's, let's try to find something that satisfies like all the policy interests, the public policy interests that are at stake here. And there's at least three. One of course is providing long-term care to Ontarians and to the Port Hope community in particular. The other is cultural heritage conservation. That also is a provincial interest. Both of those are recognized as provincial interests in the planning act itself. And the third interest is basically just good planning. Good planning, which means a development that's appropriate for its location, quite apart from the heritage uh, aspects. So there's at least these three public policy interests that are in play here. And um, the tribunal will have to juggle those. No, no, no one uh, public policy interest trumps another. Des despite what you know, certain people might say, despite what certain politicians might want you to believe, all of those are important public policy interests. And the best planning decision, the best planning decision is the one that satisfies all of them, or at least most of them. 
It's it's not the one that just satisfies one of them, and the other two are uh, not not considered just uh, fall fall off the table. So you don't know ultimately. You don't know who's going to be on that tribunal. You don't know how the whole process is going to play out, what the arguments will be. Like we've talked about uh, potentially Tony or ACO taking a stand on the uh, towns, like on the town side. Well, some other uh, particular um, politicians who I don't think I have to name might want to put their finger like on the scale on the developer side. I don't think there's anything there's anything wrong with that. In fact, it's up to the tribunal though, as Tony said, to decide who are the parties and who are the participants. If um, Minister Clark or Minister Puccini want to weigh into this? That would be very, very, very interesting. And the tribunal would, would have to decide, like, okay, we've got two parties here, but the province also wants to be heard. Should we let them be heard? <laughs> like that, that, that will be quite interesting. Should, should that, should that come up? Um, and I can't predict, of course, the outcome there. It would be unprecedented, though, for provincial ministers to weigh in to uh, an Ontario Land Tribunal hearing to, as I put it, put their fingers, try to put their thumbs on the scale to tip the balance. But they may decide to do it. There's, there's nothing preventing them from attempting to do it. It, 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 it. It's just going to be very interesting to see how this plays out. But I, I think, I really think that like when people think when the, all the parties, all the interests, like try to answer the question, that question about where is this all going? They might decide, well, let's not leave it up to an unelected tribunal in Toronto to make the decision. Let's, let's try to satisfy the public interests that are at stake here. Let's try to come to some solution. Not everybody will get 100% of what they want, but let's try to come up with a solution ourselves rather than have it imposed by a tribunal. Tony Jenkins, Dan Schneider, thank you both for talking to me today. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. That was Tony Jenkins, a Port Hope citizen and active participant in the debate over the long-term care proposal for Ward Street and Dan Schneider, an expert on cultural heritage policy.
I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me, and I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life and Northumberland County. So please tune in. If you would like to listen or share this or any podcast, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. There you will find past podcasts, news, and other information about life and politics in Northumberland County. Or you can go to the radio station's website at northumberland897.ca. I'm Robert Washburn. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in, and I hope over the week you will continue to consider this. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at considerthisnorthumberland at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. That's consider-this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening and stay tuned for more from Consider This.